welcome to the Mostly Normal Gamers Podcast. This is episode 30, and we are recording on January the 15th of 2020. I am one of your hosts, Aaron. I'm currently not in Twitter timeout, Woods. And this <laughs> evening I am joined by Gabe, That's Not Waterfall, and John, <laughs> Dr. Feelgood Swanson. Ooh, nice. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might be my new favorite out of the two nicknames that I have. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about games, of course, E3, leak controllers, Pui delays, and we have a mostly normal write-in from one of our wonderful listeners. But first, we have a little housekeeping we'd like to share with you, our wonderful listeners. We are going to be trying out a new format for our weekly episodes going forward. They will be hosted by a random collection of just the three, three out of the usual five of us. And the reason we've decided to make this change is that it, A, assists all of us with our busy lives. As most of you know, most of us are husbands and fathers. And so sometimes things get a little bit hectic around the old house. But secondly, and almost most importantly, we feel like we needed to make this change as it will assist us in helping to provide more in-depth discussions between the three hosts. And, you know, well, so that also my big loud gregarious ass isn't cutting anyone off anymore because I have ADD. And if I don't get it out now, it may never come out because, oh, look, something shiny over there. <laughs> and then you'll explode. Right. Because it never came out. Right. Potentially. If I, I don't store want that. In, yeah, it's like anger, right? You store it in. Yeah. Just... Something. something like that additionally we are going to bring you our wonderful listeners more delicious content we soon will be publishing a new podcast series called mostly normal side hustles have no fear as our regular weekly show isn't going anywhere mostly normal side hustles will be our podcast series that will feature reviews interviews deep dives into specific video game centric content and discussions with regards to other pop culture we hold dear. We had previously called such episodes special episodes, but this will give them even more of a real identity and a sense of permanence. So we kind of decided to rebrand those a little bit. So look forward to those mostly normal side hustles episodes coming at you soon. We'll have one being recorded later on in the week by... The wonderful Gabe and AJ discussing Modern Warfare, correct, Gabe? Yeah, so we are going to be interviewing some members of the Minnesota Rocker organization. That is Minnesota's official Call of Duty League team, their professional esports organization. I'm really excited about it. I'm a little bit intimidated about it, to be honest. Um, but I'm going to be very happy to interview these people. I think it's going to be a great interview, and I think everybody should check it out. Even if you're not like super into esports, um, as I'm not, I don't follow a lot of esports, but I'm really excited about the Rocker and this Call of Duty League. So I'm really interested in getting more information from these people in the organization. That's awesome. And I, I'm pretty sure the league kicks off here pretty quick. So uh, it does hopefully. on uh, January 24th, the Call of Duty League kicks <clears throat> off with the event happening here in Minnesota. So that's, that's awesome. Really exciting. That's awesome. Well, Awesome preview, Gabe. Hopefully our listeners will enjoy that wonderful, delicious side hustle content. So now we'll just move on to what we've been gaming lately. Uh, John, we'll start with you. I think just Death Stranding. Oh, yeah. and 
Persona 4 Golden, but yeah, Death Stranding, I think I'm nearing the end. I'm like on Chapter 7, I think, if that's a thing. I haven't played it since uh, earlier this week, so I'm just now hoping to get back into it over like maybe tonight or tomorrow. Sure. Uh, so I don't have much new to report on that. I'm still basically at the same place that I was. And then Persona 4, Golden. Man, those JRPGs, dude, like, uh, even if they're so long, it's like a standard 70 hours. I've played this one for, like, not that long because it's on my Vita and I pick it up occasionally, you know, and uh, I don't really, when I do pick it up, it's maybe for a half an hour. So I'm slowly punching away at it. But, like, I've, I'm probably about maybe three or four hours into it and barely, obviously, even scratching the surface of anything at all. Like, I haven't started <laughs> uh job or anything because i think it's a lot like persona 5 where you can like have a job after school and all this other stuff so, so you're, you're roughly like two and a half to four percent into yeah, that game pretty much basically so and it's a i don't know i'm not a huge jrpg person it's one of those things i always it's kind of like dark souls like i try to get into them for some reason occasionally but um it's cool it's very fucking weird. Have you guys ever played a Persona game? You know, I haven't. One of my friends, he really loves them. I definitely want to get into, or try to get into one, uh, but I like, whenever I buy a game, I always try to buy the quote-unquote complete edition or, you know, whatever yeah, the hell yeah. they're calling it, gold or whatever else, right? So I'm going to wait for Persona 5 Royale to come yeah. out. March 31st it comes out. I'm looking at the release schedule okay. right now. I'm gonna pick that up at some point, and I'm gonna give it a go because I'm just I'm just kind of curious about it myself because it's like JRPG slash high school life simulator, which yeah, is just kind of kind of funny. And it's unsurprisingly anime as fuck, dude. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's weird. Like, you go into this alternate universe in Persona Four, I mean, and your guide through it. You first of all, you enter it through like a tv screen that you can like reach through and on the other side is like this his name's teddy and he's like this little bowling pin looking creature it's so weird it's so fucking weird to i don't know i don't know how people come up with these ideas how much acid they do in <laughs> my knowledge that stuff is still illegal but from the looks of it they're getting that shit through somehow uh maybe it's opium dens do they only yeah. exist in china or they also have they found yeah. their way over to the islands of japan that was a big deal but perhaps it's come making a swing back around <laughs> what, how much uh, you gave have you ever played any jrpgs like the closest i ever got was final fantasy 8 as a jrpg i played that when i was a kid and it really kind of that game really kind of turned me off to them just because it was so long and so involved i did i was excited when they made the remake or when they did the remaster for it i haven't picked it up yet but i am looking forward to when that game goes on sale picking it up on the xbox and playing it again actually it might be on game Pass right now regardless final fantasy 8 right and that's a that's the thing about like the jrpg genre that is kind of interesting is because that genre itself has now kind of evolved so much on its own, there's all these, like, little subgenres, right? Because, like, even Final Fantasy, the new Final Fantasy 15, right? It wasn't 
wasn't turn-based. I'm not, I guess it may, I forget if it had like a option to do the turn-based combat, but like traditionally a lot of the old Final Fantasies have all been turn-based combat, right? Yeah. Right. But like uh, Xenoblade Chronicles is uh, an action RPG. I played that one on the Switch, Xenoblade right. 2, for a long time, like 45 or so hours, and then I just never finished it, which is a so, weird amount of like, time. So then, what would what would you say are the defining characteristics that like make a JRPG game other than the fact that they're just an RPG that's made by some uh, a developer in Japan, right? Is it is it the fact that they're just typically very long? Is it that they're very weird, <laughs> or at least weird to like? I don't want to say weird. I guess atypical insofar as their storylines and characters and everything like that relative yeah. to more Western taste. Western culture, yeah. Right. I think it's definitely that. There's, I mean, I put it as anime as fuck, and I, I mean that <laughs> not in a derogatory way either because right. there are some anime out there I really like. Like uh, I watched Dororo, which was on Amazon Prime, sure. and that was fantastic. But and there's Akira. different. You can't throw all of the anime into one category, and I'm no, well aware of that. Close. But I think you have to have scantily clad women in <laughs> large breasts. <laughs> one of, one of the defining characteristics of JRPGs. Yeah. Large-breasted women. Uh, females Sorry to our female audience for that, but yeah, go on. <laughs> of a questionable age. Yeah. But like, wait oh, a God. minute. Girl, 18, what's going on here? Here. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm definitely the wrong. They do have a plethora of systems. I've noticed. Like Xenoblade Two is that way too, where there are so many systems, and each system is very intricate in how it's developed. And like Final Fantasy Fifteen was even that way. I would say that's the number one defining characteristic for me, other than the length, which is generally like it seems like at least sixty or seventy hours. But the systems and how intricate each system is. Um, from like a battle system to an item system to a uh, you know summoning system or whatever like and then all of those combined and to an intricate level of detail. I wonder if that by that very like by those definitions combined, Captain Planet. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. If if like AJ would qualify. Monster Hunter is a JRPG, or if other people consider Monster Hunter to be a JRPG in the in a certain sense or any sense, I was, I was just kind of curious as to how because it's like so, so many video games, you know, um, and developers, and then obviously uh, I would say especially over the last 10, 15 years, the West has borrowed from the East and vice versa. Um, yeah. Insofar as like you know, video game development and how stories are told and stereotypical gameplay elements of, of what were traditionally West games or traditionally Eastern games, so on and so forth. So things have definitely kind of blurred the lines over the last, um, I don't know, I guess I don't know what the what the defining game would be that blurred the lines, but uh, I would say within the last 10 years, for sure, this has been a, a much more prevalent thing. Yeah. And the one thing I always find find out about like the JRPG market is that there's so many games. Well, I don't want to even say JRPG, but there's so many games that still only exist in Japan that you can't like you have to like specialize import to get them in the U.S. Yeah. And they're like they're not even dubbed in English, let alone have English subtitles. 
And it, and it's just odd. And I wonder if maybe one of our listeners out there knows. And if they do, please hit one of us up on Twitter or write into us. But I'd be curious to know if people who are in Japan like have to do the same thing for Western games. Obviously, they could get their hands on like Call of Duty or whatever else. But what about more kind of under the radar bespoke shooter games or whatever, right? I wonder if those are harder to acquire or at least not in, you know, not in the front aisle of whatever local video game stores exist within Japan or Korea, you know. I'd just be curious to find that out. I'm a little interested to see what, because China right now is big, coming into video games very big and very quickly starting to you know have developers and get publishers over there and you know tencent owns a ton of stock in all these american and japanese companies but i wonder what their portfolio is going to look like because for a long time they didn't have access or at least legal access to a lot of the games that we've been playing so it'll be interesting to see what this kind of new batch of developers comes out with it's, it's interesting that you say that, too, because I remember reading an article some time ago, and I apologize because I forget who published it and who wrote it, but it was an article whose title was something to the effect of the makers of League of Legends, I forget their name, as well. Riot Games. Riot Games are, quote-unquote, coming for Blizzard, insofar as evidently they have a lot of games in the pipeline that are kind of you know, follow the the Blizzard line of games, probably with obviously they they have their MOBA, but Blizzard is probably defined most by WoW, Diablo, and Overwatch right now, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so sure. and apparently they have games of that ilk all in the works simultaneously. And Tencent owns the majority of that company, so I, I would believe that you know they're they're definitely at least interested in in really heavily uh broaching the american western market with that absolutely yeah, i think that's I, I don't know have they announced anything specific other than just saying we're they did they game. did and they named they named i think oh, yeah, actually before. the titles of games and i just i should i'd, I'd have to go back and re-reference this article and find it but yeah hey, that's a really you. really good point to that end gabe what are you playing good sir so I'm playing a very Western game developed in Los Angeles, California. It's called Jedi Fallen Order. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've gotten back into it now. Of course, I've been playing Call of Duty with my wife because she loves it. But I've been playing Fallen Order as well. I'm finally like getting to the point where the story is getting really interesting. Some characters have come along and revealed some things that make me question some other characters' motives. Ooh. I'm not going to go into it further than that. Um, I think I know it, it does get kind of spoilery. Right. Darth Vader might be a bad guy. <laughs> I don't know, man. Anakin seems like a pretty good guy. He's just yeah. You know, you're right. There's no way he's going to go bad. It's just he's not going to. He just, just misunderstood. He wants his mama. So. <laughs> he just trained. He just trained a little too hard with those kids. You know. Yeah. He shouldn't be using real lightsabers yet, but he's nobody just gave like the, him that memo. Just like the water boy, man. He wants his mama. <laughs> but no i'm i'm really loving that game um i did up the difficulty Ooh. yesterday when i started Snap. playing and then um played, played on that same difficulty again today uh just because i had heard that it's more important to i had been playing in story mode 
So I'm playing on the easiest difficulty, but as the boss gets harder, as the bosses get harder, it becomes more difficult to play with them in story mode because you're not the game doesn't teach you as well in story mode. So I upped the difficulty a little bit and it was a little challenging, but I finally kind of got into the rhythm and I finally like clicked as far as the timing goes, as far as like mm-hmm. when to use the force powers and when to use your heavy attacks. Um, so that's something that I've really enjoyed doing. And I never thought that like I would up the difficulty of the game to make it easier in the long run, but it really has. Um, I've worked a lot. I've done a lot of just kind of, you know, running back to a spawn point, resting, getting back my health, getting back my uh, stim packs, and then also generating all those enemies to kind of keep going and practicing. Just like these little battalions of stormtroopers. And then these little, what do you call them? The purge troopers, the guys, the right. guys in the black armor. Right. Um, Those are tough, man. Yeah, and I've been, I've been just practicing on them, and I think I've gotten pretty good at them. I can beat them pretty easily without dying. So on the second hardest difficulty, and again, it's just second getting hardest that or second right. easiest. I'm sorry, second easiest, not the okay. second hardest. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not ready like, for damn, that. Damn, dude, you a boss? Like, shit. I no. might go through, because, like, as of right now, I know that I'm missing things, and I know that there's things where it's just, like, I didn't have the Force ability, and now I have the Force ability, but I don't know if I want to go back to that planet and run all the way to this location to try right. to defeat this enemy. Like, I don't I don't want to do that. I just want to go ahead and... Have you have you played any of the boss battles yet? Yeah, the boss battles? Yeah. You have encountered yes. bosses thus far? Yes, so I have fought the second sister twice. Uh, once you fight her just at the beginning of the game, and then I fought her a second time. And then I... there, There's been a couple where, like, a, a little cinematic right. or a little animation plays. And you don't then, need to say, like, you don't need to say, but I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so I don't know necessarily if they qualify as boss battles, because I think, like, the first Purge Trooper you fight is also kind of intros like that. And there have been a couple other enemies where they intro like that, and then I've seen them later. Or, like, right. in a, like after another hour, there's, like, three of them in a room, and you've got to take out all three of them. Um, I love that game. I actually kind of want to replay it again, especially in lieu of, even though it's really minor, but and I know they've updated the game a lot, and um, one of our news articles that we'll talk about later um, has some additional content that now everybody has access to. And I just, I really love that game. Was it our game of the year or was it Death Stranding? I forget off the top of my head. You'll have to listen to the episode to find out. That's right, motherfuckers. No shortcuts here. Just kidding. <laughs> You're not motherfuckers. Please go listen I know, to the episode. I know for sure it was a, uh, a lot of our personal game of the year. Um, yeah. I do, I do still have some trouble, like, with the traversal. Uh, just, for instance, today there's just, like, I just can't seem to jump off this rope at the right time to grab the sledge. Yeah. Um, You'll get I that. Think they, I think they knew that. I think they understood that because they, they do have that really instant, you know, you kind of fall to your death, but then you pop right back up the last place yeah. you were standing on flat ground. Which is definitely fair oh, yeah. because there's, there's a lot of challenges with, with the platforming in that game. And I know a friend of mine consistently struggled with it throughout. And I did, I guess I, I still don't know why they did, but they did. I actually thoroughly enjoyed the platforming once it like once I got used to like the grabbing everything with the one button. Oh yeah. Um it everything clicked for me and I I don't think I fell more than once after like after the first 
level or two. So that's impressive. I felt. Oh well, I mean, I, outside of the timing obstacles, I don't want to like try to brag brag on myself and them bullshitting people. There's always those timing ones that are a little bit more difficult. But I like I didn't miss any of the the rope swings or anything like that. I I don't know. I just didn't. But I love that game. And one thing I would love for them to do with that game, especially because, so one of the things you're talking about, Gabe, is that like the game gets kind of progressively easier as you get used to the gameplay style. And I completely, yeah. I completely agree with that, especially after you, once you, you know, your force powers start unlocking and you start upgrading and like, for me, the best force power was like the, um, force push, right? Cause then I would always angle myself in a battle anywhere near a cliff edge, like, and, and I would lure somebody to that cliff edge and then immediately try to just shove them off. Right. That was yes. one of my main strategies of battle, uh, especially for the larger groups that are harder to deal with. But like I would I, I, I kind of understand why they decided not to introduce or have a game plus mode or a new game plus mode. But I, I definitely think it's doable. You could just limit like say I had my force push all the way, you know, amped up. I just didn't have access to it until I didn't have access to force push at all until that one cutscene, right? Um, right. Or, or whatever the case may be. So uh, I I wish they would come out with a new game plus new game plus mode, but I don't yeah. know if they will. I saw that update today, and I have a, I know we're going to talk about it later, but I didn't. Uh, I know I want to get back into it now. Every, I know I do too, but it's going to take more than a lightsaber color, I think, to get me back into it. Maybe, maybe. I've been needing just really any reason, and, and it's unfortunately it's borrowed out to all my friends right now, and I kind of oh, have this itch to scratch it. But anyway, what else have you been playing, Gabe? Uh, so since basically been that in Call of Duty, I did make a purchase in Call of Duty. I did a microtransaction, um, but it was a good one. It was the Outback Relief Pack. Oh, cool. uh, so basically what Call of Duty has done is they released this DLC that includes like a weapon skin and a skin for your character and stuff. And it's like that very typical Australian hat in a camouflage kind of cover. Right. And it looks very, very Australian. So they released that. All the profits of that are going to help with the brush fires that are happening in Australia right now. That's wonderful. Um, so, yeah, I saw that like immediate when I saw that pop up, I was like, yeah, I got to do this. Like this is a yeah. microtransaction that I can like 100% get behind. So I got it. My wife got it. Like we were all... We were pretty stoked to get it. And again, so, like, it's just good to see that video games, even as big as like Call of Duty and, you know, we give Activision a lot of shit for like money grabbing and stuff like that. But it's like when when they do something like that and something that's so small, but can it can mean a lot. At least it makes me feel like I'm doing something while I'm playing this game that right. I enjoy. But I think I think that's a good call. If you do play Call of Duty, you know, I would I'd recommend getting it again. It's. It's nothing too special, but it is for a good cause. And it's not too often that a company will do something good, especially so quickly well, right. um, and it, for it, a group of people in such dire straits. And again, it's kind of, again, it's, I have that mentality of vote with your dollar, vote with your wallet kind of thing too. And if you want to see yeah. those, those sorts of things happen in the future, you have to partake in the economics of them. So, right. um, and I, I'd be curious to know, and I don't know if you know, Gabe, if you do, please opine. But, you know, I, obviously it's wonderful. It's going towards a charity for a, a very worthy cause. Um, I'm always just curious, though, just 
I, I never I try not to take anything at face value without being at least my a little bit critical about it is do you have any idea if it's like capped as a percentage of is it 100 percent of the proceeds is it purely profit space is there a cap on the is there a cap on the total of the nation dollar obviously any good that activision is doing in in helping out you know the the people from australia is a worthwhile endeavor however I think it's always good to have that transparency and as, as well as you don't want to see companies companies do exploitative things either. Right. And I, you know, I did not do my research on this. I just kind of went ahead and got it right away because it, it was a almost a feel good thing for me. Um, so maybe it maybe it isn't doing as much good as I think it is. Uh, it did say that all the profits will be going to that. So I don't I don't necessarily that seems, know what that means. That's, well, if this is all the profits, I mean, that's still pretty good. So, um, I mean, a like I said earlier, it's just you know, e- even still, it's 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 a worthy cause, and I'm glad Activision uh, was proactive in pursuing cosmetic items that can help people. I mean, yeah. for a fucking video game, that's that's still cool at the end of the day. Yeah. Really oh cool. yeah. I guess I'll move on myself. Hey, Aaron, what have you been doing lately? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. No. Uh. I actually haven't been haven't gotten to play a ton of video games. Um, probably in the past week, played some Fortnite, won a couple of matches. Not that I'm bragging, a little bragging. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't gotten to continue Days Gone or start Death Stranding, which has been a goal of mine. I played a little bit more of Jedi Outcast, which is still kind of infuriating to me on the PS4, but. Well, see, I love that game. I loved it on the PC, so I feel like I'm just like I have to continue it, even though I'm playing on the easiest mode and it still seems impossibly hard. And I don't know why, because it definitely wasn't that hard when I played it. Back <laughs> Does then. it hold up, man? On the PS4, I would say no. It's it's fucking frustrating okay. uh, without without a mouse and a keyboard, which is really too bad because I really wanted to buy Jedi Academy when it comes out because they're actually going to have multiplayer battles. Yeah. Go in and fucking fuck around with other people and their Jedi. Yeah. So. Is there a remaster for that coming out? Yeah. So they they did. Oh. Jedi Outcast. Or. uh, Without Jet. What is it called? God damn it. Uh, Thank you, right? Jedi Knight. Jedi Knight. Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast is the one that has already come out. Jedi Knight. Jedi Academy is the one that is still in the process of coming out. I don't know when exactly okay. in 2020 that that is dropping, but the remake is remake or remaster is is coming out. So, and both those games, some of my favorite games of all time. I I just wish it, I wish it was better, and it's really just about the controls because the it's just that it the, the auto aim thing that they built into the console version really just sucks. It sucks. And um, I'm not not super pleased with it because you can't turn it off. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm hoping to get get into Death Stranding or or um, oh my dear lord, I'm spacing so hard today. Uh, John, what is the wonderful game that you borrowed me? Oh, Control. Control. I, I would I would love to uh, play Control, and I said borrow. I said mid long thing grammar nazis out there but uh yeah no i i actually i kind of want to get into that uh because everybody else has been playing control and now I, I already almost feel like i'm 
behind the times on that, so I might as well just play whatever the hell I want. And I know you were so enthralled by Control and, um, you know, really loved it so much. And I, I kind of want to – and I know it's just – it's like – I know Death Stranding is kind of a abnormal abstract, uh, abstract video game from a certain standpoint, but Control is as well. Um, yeah. And and I, I kind of want to experience something I definitely haven't ever experienced before. And not to say that Death Stranding is like or really that equatable to any of the Metal Gear Solid games of the past, but it, it's a Kojima title, so I kind of feel like I know what to expect Like from, like, a, this is how crazy shit's going to be narratively. So, yeah, I would agree. I think it's on the same page as like a lot of his other stuff. Crazy shit. It's the gameplay and the message maybe are different. Right. Plus, I loved Alan Wake. Loved Alan Wake. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the big DLC package that came with that American Nightmare? Question mark? I yes. Believe? Yes. Yeah. Um, that, that was dope. And I know this. it exists technically in the same world as Alan Wake. And obviously made by the same folks, so I kind of wanna, I kind of wanna see what they've done and how they've evolved uh, insofar as that universe is concerned. So I don't know, I, I might have to just flip a coin and make that decision because yeah. I've kind of, I just, I, oh God, days gone. Ugh. I, it's, I have a love-hate relationship with that game, like <laughs> I haven't had with any other game I've ever played. Yeah, I it's, think that's the only relationship that exists with that game, unfortunately. Yeah. Frustrating. And it's not a bad game, it's just frustrating. Yeah. It's not better, I think. It's almost like I'm a disappointed father with that game because yeah. like I see so much potential in it Yeah. falls short of its potential at yeah. almost every turn, and it just yeah. pisses me off. That's a good way to put it, man. So that's what we've been playing. Now we're going to move on to the news. First... <laughs> huge piece of news this week and it it, it kind of came as a shock to me honestly i did not think it would happen two years in a row but sony has confirmed they will again be an e3 no show yeah i mean i understand kind of where they're coming from and i understand that e3 has changed a lot in recent years but i just don't know where kind of sony and maybe it's not even sony but just like sony interactive entertainment how they feel that they can skip these trade shows and still be relevant but also i mean are these trade shows as built for the fans as people think they are i don't know and well and realistically e3 never really was until they started letting fans in just a couple of years ago right Right. So right. It's it's and by and by fans, it's really people who love to just like, you know, foam at the mouth waiting for the next article about the next big game that come out and all of the the live streams that happen. You know, from IGNs to GameSpots to whomever else is. You know, all the awesome video game media outlets out there. And it, it's I, I'm disappointed. Because it's, you know, I, I kind of thought after last year they were for sure going to be back this year. They can't not be there before the launch of the PlayStation 5, right? They have to showcase right. E3. That was my thought. And so I was I was kind of shocked to see them 
turn their backs on E3 yet again. Yeah. Um, I read their statement, though, and it reads as if they're, if you read what the PR person said, it reads as if they're basically pre-announcing a PSX by the way that they say, by the way that they phrase the fact that they're not going to E3. It's basically like we've always loved having events with our fans who are enthusiastic for our products, like in our games. Like, so it just sounded to me like they're planning on having a PSX maybe around the same time or right. something like that. I read a few different opinion pieces around the web, one from GameSpot and one from IGN, and I, I need to start writing down the author's names and I feel bad that I haven't. But they, they had some interesting thoughts about it too that I didn't necessarily disagree with is a well a and i mean this is of my own opinion too but you know the world has changed the way information and marketing and the way you can showcase things have has completely changed especially over the last five years like youtube always existed before same with twitter and twitch and all the other stuff but it, it it wasn't as nearly intertwined in our culture and as prevalent as it is today and right a lot of these companies are definitely using these platforms now to get their messages out there. And then simultaneously, what some of these opinion pieces I read had said was that it's it's a chance for them to – they get to do it on their own time, on their own speed. They don't have to worry about, you know, the narrative of who won E3. They're not, they're not having to compete in a marketing showcase with Microsoft or Nintendo. And speaking of Nintendo, I mean, Nintendo hasn't really done it for years, right? It's been a while since they've had an honest-to-goodness E3 presentation. And even Microsoft doesn't technically do it at the convention center. They do it right. at the Microsoft Theater across the way, right? So yeah. and EA also doesn't, right? Right. I, yeah, and I don't think Beth- – well, and Bethesda has always done their, their own thing for the last few years too. Yeah, um, well, Bethesda, Bethesda oh, you're has right. been there. Yeah. And here's here's where I think, like, when you list off all of those companies, it does make me think, like, I'm a little bit worried for Sony. Simply because Nintendo wasn't there, or Nintendo hasn't been there for a while, because they felt bad or felt disgraced because of what the Wii U was providing, what the Wii U was putting out. Um, Microsoft hasn't been there for the last couple of years, simply because I think they they feel like they felt behind, they fell behind in the Xbox One, and they don't want to go on stage or they don't want to go and embarrass themselves at well, the trade show with everybody they're else. They're still there though. They're not necessarily <laughs> in the building, but they have they they and Nintendo maintain a pretty large presence in the building. They just don't do their showcase presentation there, right? Right, right. So it's not like they're completely absent of it. Whereas it That's sounds true. like Sony is just picked up and said uh fuck it we're out we're gonna let our third party people speak for us and we'll hit you later it's also really interesting just because sony has had such a like the the big key moments or the big like very cutthroat moments in gaming have happened on sony's stage at e3 yeah um the at the first ever e3 and i think it was 1995 when the Sega Saturn was coming out and the Sony PlayStation, the first PlayStation was coming out, they 
their E3 presentation. And the presentations at the time were literally just people standing up at a podium and listing off like the specs of a console and then its retail price and where where it's going to be. Sega had gone up and they did their entire presentation, like a 30-minute thing of a guy just talking at a podium, talking about all the specs of the Saturn and all of these things. And he said, and it's going to be priced at $299. And famously, the executive for Sony went up to the podium and just said, $199. That's hilarious. Stage. Yeah. Almost, yeah. Had a Gor- almost had a Gorbachev moment with Berlin, right? Right. It was it was such a such like a like a poignant moment and one of those things where it's like Sony really set themselves up for success just with that. Just by going up and saying a number that was a hundred dollars lower than the Sega Saturn, they were able to set themselves up for success for, you know, twenty years now, twenty five years of fantastic gaming. The other big moment that comes to my mind is when Sony was talking about the PlayStation four back in 2013 and they had that very famous video of this is how you share games with the ps4 yeah and just had one guy passing it to the other guy passing a disc to another guy that was after that disastrous microsoft press conference where they tried to announce all that drm shit for the xbox one and that yeah I, i still believe to this day that that conference and that conference alone doomed that console absolutely everything after that was a complete question mark what were their true intentions with that console? What were the real business decisions going on behind the scenes? And they, they had to, you know, they, I mean, it happens in June, right? You got less than five months to, well, really less than four months to really get your crap together before you have to start actually shipping units. And right. never that happened happens. for them. Despite the fact that even Sony didn't have a great launch lineup right it it didn't matter i mean microsoft was had already dug their own grave yeah and it was an, i mean it's a big like reason why the original xbox one like the one that's sitting on my entertainment center right now is just it's big it's loud it's not the best looking console it's because they had to uh, they like had to go back to square one and try to fit a disk drive into this thing that they had already built. They already optimized all the heating systems. They optimized everything for it, the motherboard. And now all of a sudden they've got to switch all of that because they're going back to a disk-based system. Like, I mean, it's I commend Microsoft and how fast they did things, but at the same time, like, when you bow to social pressure like that or when you don't think a decision fully through and think about what people are going to say about it, like it can really doom you as a business. And I can just, that Xbox as a division of Microsoft must have lost a ton of money just going back and putting in tons of overtime, bringing in tons of experts to try to redesign the hardware in five months. Yeah, this this past generation has not, not been kind to them in the least. Had they just stuck to their guns, like I wonder if that would have pushed tech to a point where... Like, would that have doomed them, or would that have pushed ISPs to up their bandwidth caps and that kind of thing faster, you know? I still think, for me, the crux of the issue is about consumer ownership. I don't want to have to be online to... I mean, if, if it's a game like Apex, where literally the whole point of the game is to play it online, that's one thing. But I don't want to have to 
I don't want to have to have a internet connection to play Days Gone. There's no need for that shit. Right. Say, and the whole DRM thing was scary. Say, same like like if I want to go, John, you just lent me control, right? I've lent people Star Wars Fallen Order and other games. It's like the fact it's my game. Let me use it how the fuck I want to use it. Like you, right. that whole thing was a complete deal breaker for me. And I still don't think the world is ready for it. And yeah. I get, well, A, again, that's one of the things I harp on with regards to Stadia. I'm not a fan of that model at all, explicitly because I value the ownership of my video games. Yeah. Whether that ownership be real or perceived, it doesn't matter because I perceive it all as real. For me, that was the... That was the crux, and I don't think people were ready for what Microsoft was trying to trying to do. They they were actually trying to do like Steam Extreme Xbox, which yeah. it was just odd, odd yeah. decisions all the way around. For sure. Man. I think I think that had they launched with the discless Xbox One, that would have killed the Xbox division of Microsoft. I think then Microsoft would have retreated back to solely relying on software for PC. Yeah, I don't think that they would have the hardware that they do now. And oddly enough, that seems exactly where they are currently headed also. So what's the deal then? Does does E3 limp into the sunset and just die? Or is there a hope for it to come back? It does. I mean, to me, it doesn't seem like Sony's ever going to come back. And Nintendo already has... A, pseudo presence there and microsoft has a presence there but it's not as big as it once was as well like is e3 doomed mm, I think uh, in, in the sense in in not necessarily as a whole it could always still be like a convention for video games potentially right but it was the monolith right it was the place to be the video game showcasing event of the calendar year by far will it ever be that again will it be will it just die completely i don't think it'll ever die completely i think you're kind of like on to something with there used to be a lot higher um anticipation and excitement for ces which is seems kind of waned in recent years and i bet e3 will kind of go in and out of relevancy over like the next decades probably i don't think it'll ever go away but it does it does seem like they're gearing it more toward you know fans and trying to bring in as much money as they can ebb and flow with like big hit game releases in a calendar year probably that's probably a good guess yeah well i mean it and you guys probably know this but it started as something where like places like the badges and EB games and GameStop. Yes, I'm old. A lot of people probably don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> Funko! Funko! Yeah, we didn't have that in Nebraska. But um, but a lot of places like that would go, or their regional managers would go, and then they would assess the market and... Yeah, like, there, there was literally orders. like a commodity street for it. Yeah, and yep. that's... That's not what it is anymore, and obviously it's going a complete... So it's already evolved to this kind of point that it is right now, and I just, it, like, nobody... 
game developers and game publishers don't need to be part of it anymore. They can control their own message. So why spend the money to be part of something you don't need to be part of? The only people it's relevant for are the people who are there. If we don't know the difference if Nintendo streams, you know, their quote-unquote E3 conference from L.A. or if they do it from Kyoto, Japan. What the fuck do we care? You know what I mean? Like, no, right. so really valid. There's really no valid. reason for them to go, in my well, opinion. S- well, speaking of, you know, things not feeling like they have to be there, we're going to hop all aboard the delay train. Choo-choo! Choo-choo! Uh, <laughs> your choo-choo was way better than mine. Choo-choo! Um, <laughs> uh, so, Final Fantasy uh, VII Remake has been delayed only for a month, and uh, Avengers has been delayed for several months. Thoughts? I just think that all of a sudden Square had their fourth quarter, or I'm sorry, for Square would be their third quarter earnings call, and really just decided that they made enough money this year and they can stop. Or they they don't project the first two quarters of next year being the Square's financial year starts in March. So those next two quarters not to be as successful. So that's why they pushed them out. I don't think, think that they're they really... already made enough money up until this like they plan to make enough money by the end of March this year that they don't need this game to launch during this fiscal year. Is that Yes. Okay. Yes, that's what I'm saying. And they've they've made the decision to kind of push that out into the fight they pushed it out to make or they pushed Final Fantasy out to make it right away at the first quarter of the next financial year to make the beginning of their financial year look really good. Um, and Avengers out to the middle of their financial year to make that. Is that when it's coming out? Summer? I forgot to write down that piece. September? Mm -hmm. Yep. And that would be... So it'll be the first big, like, fall game then. In theory. Eventually, right? Yeah. And I think looking... What is... What is Square published or developed this year? Am I missing something? They're so big now, I honestly forget. Kingdom Hearts 3 is the only game I can think of. Yeah, well, that no, well, that was and last like year, uh, but... Just Cause might land in Just Cause and Tomb Raider might land in this. Just this Cause was 2018. I yeah. actually had to I actually oh. had to look that up. Yeah, I was Tomb Raider was looking at my nominees. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I for some reason I was thinking the fiscal year would go into. I don't I don't do business. I do drugs, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Push but, it, man, yeah. John. Wait, so Kingdom Hearts wouldn't even be in this fiscal year? Then. No, that was last. So I don't know, man. I wonder. I wonder if this, if it's, if they're just completely taking a loss on the 2019 fiscal year. I mean, I don't know a lot about a lot of things, but investing is one of those things I don't know a lot about. But I have a feeling if you were a shareholder and you had stock in Square and you like saw that this game was coming out and then they delayed it to 14 days after like that is basically wiping your ass with your investors noses like basically because you're waiting until now to let them know that like you're completely delaying it from one fiscal year to the next i don't know that is that is weird for the whole final fantasy 7 thing because it's not like it's going to be not printed in boxes by that time. But the Avengers thing makes sense to me 
explicitly because, you know, there's kind of all sorts of iffy statements about, is this game going to be ready? Like, it doesn't really feel complete, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, well, in, in that got... sense, it's better to delay it because if they're not confident in the product and they think it might bomb or get bad reviews, because the reviews are going to make or break that game given all the, all of the, uh, you know, previews and publicity it's gotten thus far. I, I truly believe reviews are going to make or break that game. So you got to make it, you have to make it good because yeah. it's, it's a hot property. They don't want to fuck it up. It could be mega buster bang bucks for them. So delay it, like make Anthem. it right. Yeah. You don't want to be like Anthem. Well, I so. think, it, I think it will be, I think it'll, people will, I think a lot of people will wait. I'm, I don't know. Maybe it'll be similar to Anthem in that, but, It'll have yeah. a high level of anticipation, especially for people who are love the Marvel movies and stuff. But then, based on whether or not it can keep its momentum going, it's going to depend a lot on reviews. So if they don't make a good game, they're kind of screwed. I agree with you, but at the same time, I think it, it's got just more hype around it because it's just Avengers and the Marvel property in general, whereas Anthem was brand new IP. Yeah. I do think, though, that they need to, they really need to kind of step up the marketing for that. Especially, they need to show the characters that you're playing as more because it's still a little bit jarring to look at, like, Captain America and say, oh, that's not the Captain America I know, or that's yeah. not the Tony Stark right. I know. Yeah. But, like, I think they, I think they really need to get out there and be like, these are our Avengers. This is what they're going to look like. Get over it. You know, kind yeah. of a thing. Like where they just need like to like posters or something with them. Like yeah, I mean, you could do it in a way where it would be, you could make them cool, right? Make people care about what they look like and stuff. It's but. it's and it's and it's weird because it's a problem in a certain sense that Marvel itself created because sure. of the popularity of the Marvel films and Robert Downey Jr. being ubiquitous now as Iron Man. And, and, you know, so on and so forth. And now you like, you want Iron Man to look and sound exactly like Robert Downey Jr. when he's out of costume. And it's just, the, you know, to, to pay those monies for the video game creation process, I'm sure it was completely out of the question. Yeah. And again, again, I just think we got to get used to him and pushing yep. it further out, you know, further than a year past end game, like let people kind of. Let that go away. Let Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man kind of fade off, and then let's move into this new series of Marvel that is the video game. Right. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't disagree at all. Well, speaking of good looks, so all of the cosmetic content uh, that was part of the pre-order package for Jedi Fallen Order has now been made available to everybody who owns the game, which I think that's pretty cool. I mean, it sucks kind of for the people who pre-order the game, you know, explicitly because of the content. I guess that's kind of weird to do, but especially since, like, in, for every game, all the pre-order content eventually gets made available to the public via, like, the gold edition or whatever, as it is. Uh, but I think it's cool that Respawn released it all for free. It's pretty dupe. I, I mean, I want to go and play with the Crimsicle lightsaber. So. <laughs> what, is, what else is there? Uh, uh, there's a skin for BB-8, a skin for the ship, I think an extra poncho and an extra, like, I guess whatever the under, the garment is under the, the poncho and, uh, a, a hilt and something else too. 
it's just all it's, it's all aesthetic crap. Basically, yeah. any anything you can do aesthetically, there's, there's a premium. Yeah. Oh. Okay. I I did pre-order the game. Um, I bought it the day before it came out, so it was technically a pre-order. And just so I could download it and play it, you know, as soon as I could on Thursday. Uh, and I've been playing with all those premium things, and you know, they're they're fine. I do like the orange lightsaber a lot. I think it's really fun. But beyond that, it's it's fine. It's fine that they came out with it. It doesn't bother me because I didn't buy or I didn't pre-order the game to get the orange lightsaber. Right. I just yeah. play with it because I think it's different. Well, also, come on, game. we all know your favorite color is creamsicle. <laughs> <laughs> also, just like nobody else is seeing me play this game. It's not like I'm online and I'm showing off my creamsicle. But like, you could be if you live streamed on Twitch. I'd watch that. I'd watch Gabe get down with little Jedi Fallen Order action with his creamsicle saber. See, the last time I played with my creamsicle on Twitch, I got banned. So oh, I don't want to try to. Oh, you know, snap. You know. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, cool. Moving on to the next piece of news PS4, DualShock 4, the, the back button attachment. It's either just come out or is about to come out. I, I saw it on Best Buy. I guess I didn't notice if it was explicitly for pre order, if I could just order it and I'd go pick it up. But it's gotten rave reviews, which is pretty cool because it, it seems to be a kind of a, a nice kind of almost transition in, into what has almost now been almost completely confirmed to be how the, the next official DualShock controller for the PlayStation 5 is going to function um, insofar as having those extra buttons on the back. So it's, it, it's cool that it's a transition. And clearly, I think they're kind of laying it forward insofar that you know, Sony has come come out and said everything from the PS4 is going to be completely and totally compatible with the PS5. And if you're going to have new buttons on the controllers for the PlayStation 5, this is a way to do that for the PlayStation 4 controllers. So I think that's pretty cool. And it's only 30 bucks. In, in which case, people are now like kind of comparing it to the Xbox Elite and Elite 2 controllers, which I didn't even realize dropped back on like the 4th of November. I forget if we covered it or not. Um, uh, it's, it's, yeah, we, did, we didn't, and I think that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> the Elite 2 controller did? Yeah, so the Elite 2 know. controller dropped, and I, I watched a video to learn the differences. More or less is the, the you can adjust the tension within the analog sticks and the triggers. There's an additional like presetting for the controller map or the control mapping, slightly different textures on the controller itself for better grip, and a lithium-ion battery as opposed to double A's that you would stick in. Other than that, most of the differences are fairly inconsequential. But it's it's interesting though, is you could go out and you could I mean you could find PlayStation 4 controllers now almost every week on a sale for like 40 bucks. And then this $30 attachment makes it effectively almost a little bit of an elite controller for like less than half the price, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, not quite an elite controllers. I don't want to, I don't want to dog the elite controller because it clearly offers a lot more. You can yeah. adjust the analog sticks and all that other stuff and change the heights of them and change out the D pad and everything. So that, that definitely is a premium product, but this is cool that this is like, a, it's an official Sony product, and it's kind of a bridge. Yeah, it's cool. I've heard nothing but good things about the Elite Control, but I can never bring myself to spend that kind of money on a computer. Right, right. Me too. I mean, if I was, if I was, if I was part of the uh, 
the Minnesota Rocker, right? I mean, yeah. obviously, right? Yeah. But I'm not. Shout out to the Rocker boys. Good luck. Bird. Boys and girls, I guess I should say. I don't know. But uh, I say guys because I'm from the Midwest, and, well, that's just a stupid colloquialism up here. Uh, <laughs> guys means everyone. Guys is guys like a, a non gendered term. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you say, hey, you guys. That means like. Hey, yeah. <laughs> hey, you guys. Um, uh, so our last piece of news, uh, the GMG union has filed an official vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum. No, I'm just kidding. It's in their, uh, <laughs> it's in their, uh, the Gizmodo Media CEO, Jim Spenfeller. So I know we covered everything that ha- was happening at Kotaku back in, I forget what time period it was, but I think earlier this fall. And now it looks like all of the GMG union employees, or at least from what it was like, the vast, vast majority of them signed this petition as a vote of no confidence in this CEO. So that seems to be coming to a head and very rapidly. Who knows if the powers that be will change the CEO, but it's kind of interesting because it kind of almost feels like everything is going to collapse or things are going to start to get better. Yeah, they, obviously they, hoping for the latter for all of the employees, and I know we all love the work of Jason Schreier amongst others. So yeah, I listened to Split Screen with uh, Kirk Hamilton and sure. Jason Schreier, and of course Maddie Myers, which is really good, man. They they talk about outside of video games, like um, Kirk Hamilton's a fantastic musician, so. He knows a shit ton about music and always talks about different bands. So I've picked up shit on Spotify through listening to him. And they also read a lot of interesting books. So it's fun to listen to them talk and get suggestions for things that aren't necessarily video game related. Right, sure. So I I really hope they get something figured out there. I know Gita Jackson, who used to write for them, is now at vice games which is in new york city so at waypoint and, right or i guess yeah, yeah, waypoint, it's now yeah. vice and, games or was waypoint or was, whatever was is yeah my wonderful cousin joel was actually one of the one of the main guys there for a while oh yeah yeah that's cool so but you know he don't works for another media conglomerate but uh i know he, i mean he loved his time over there at, at vice right now damn deadspin too didn't they gizmodo <laughs> Yes, yes. yeah, and, down, and so. I was I was just gonna say that too because that's I love Deadspin because it was just it had it some awesome. humor and it was funny and yeah, uh, um, some of my favorite annual pieces like uh, the NFL team preview pieces, yeah, by Drew Drew Majory or yeah, why your team sucks. It was just like probably my favorite sports article piece of the year. Just absolutely yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And the fact I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that he's still going to write it and somebody's still going to publish it and pay for him, uh, pay for it somewhere because it's, it's a complete hit. So it'd be a travesty to lose that. But, you know, obviously we just want things to work out for not, not that I want to call myself a journalist cause I'm far from that bullshit. Or, um, but I, I respect everybody in that profession. My father being a formal, former sports journalist himself, and just see what has happened to the journalism industry at large and is continuing to happen to it with kind of this continual cannibalization by 
private equity firms and other causes. So hoping hoping for the best for the folks over there at Gizmodo Media. Um, so before we get into our listener question, we again want to send our best wishes to all of the people dealing with the Australian wildfires. We have a few listeners down under, like the wonderful Dutchy underscore 86. Um, and we just want to remind all of you that we're thinking of you, thinking of your families, and the wonderful and unique animals that have been gravely affected by this ongoing disaster. And if any of our listeners and friends are able to spare any funds, the people down in Australia would greatly appreciate it. One such place that you could donate to is as AussieArc.org. That's A-U-S-S-I-E-A-R-K.org. So we thank you in advance for your support and generosity, and we're wishing all of them, you know, the best of luck and and hoping things get turned around there and turned around very soon. So moving on from that sad note, we have a wonderful question from one of our other listeners, at CJ Randall. So he writes into us, guys, the Dreamcast recently turned 20 years old. Though the system run was short, this was one of my favorite consoles of all time. What are your experiences with the system, and did you have any favorite games on there? I loved Ready to Rumble Boxing, 2K, NFL, and NBA, and Crazy Taxi. I even vaguely remember subscribing to a Dreamcast magazine. Thanks for reading my question, and I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say about the system. CJ. Most of my experience for the Dreamcast comes from looking at it in the electronics section in Walmart. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't, yeah, yeah. I remember it being so cool and being like looking at that controller and seeing how cool that controller was. And it was really, it was really kind of the predecessor to like the Xbox Duke. It had yeah, a it very, very similar shape. That's a good point. Yeah. And it was, it was something I looked at and I looked at it and I thought, Wow, my PlayStation controllers are so thin and crappy compared to this awesome Dreamcast controller. Right. And look, it's even got a little port where you can put a little screen and you get games that will like support that screen and little things will pop up on the screen. So it was like it had all these really, really good ideas. And this is also then again about like playing online came up, but it was still I think it was still too early because I at least in my house, we were still at the point where we were still using dial up internet. And I always wondered, like, oh, if I'm playing a game of Madden, uh, whatever it was at the time, Madden 96 or 97, if I'm playing a game of that, then what happens when my mom gets on the phone or my mom gets a phone call and she picks up the phone? I'm going to get disconnected and I'm going to lose the game. So I was hesitant about it. I think I overthought it, but I really did. I was just enamored by the controllers. They looked so cool. Yeah, I and to this it, day I've never actually gotten to play on one. I've held a couple yeah. in some of the retro gaming stores, but I've never actually played a Dreamcast. So I, buy I'm one, looking for one. Play it. Yeah, yeah, you, we should. One of the biggest things that I remember, like what you're talking about with the little thing that you could. Do you guys remember on the Nintendo 64 they had that little pack, the Rumble pack that you could put yes. in? Yes. Yeah. Like. So the the this ancillary screen that you slip into the Dreamcast was kind of like that, but on the top, obviously. And yeah, it was like a little like LSD screen on the memory card, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you could, in football games, like, you could select your play without your opponent seeing, which was, like, the first time you could ever do that. That's because awesome. You would, The play would show up on the screen on your controller rather That's than... That's crazy. And before this, obviously, it was always on the screen. So, basically, if your opponent wanted to, they could just stare at your screen and wait till you picked a play, and then they would see what you were picking. So that's probably one of the things I remember most about it. And also that's where my disdain for turn-based RPG started with a game called Evolution, which they made two of, but I got all the way through that game and to the end boss, and I didn't really understand like how turn-based combat worked in games. Not because I was young and stupid, because I was like 16 or 17, but I just didn't really know that I had to exert that much effort in leveling up my character or whatever. So I got to the end boss and was completely underpowered and couldn't beat it. Like I tried for like three or four hours to beat a boss and couldn't, so I gave up. And thus began my hatred for turn-based RPGs. It's interesting that, Gabe, you were touching on the whole internet connection thing, because that's actually one of my first memories about the Dreamcast as a whole was that A, I was still rocking my N60 nope, my PlayStation 2 at the time um, and I love my PlayStation no, no, I wasn't rocking my PlayStation What I forget, what came first? The chicken or the egg? Dreamcast before came before the PlayStation 2 I was yes. rocking my N64 waiting for the PlayStation 2 and but I do remember the fact that like for those who are familiar with the former IP uh, called Road Runner, Road Runner. That was my Time Warner cable back in the day. That was like the very first broadband that came out in the city in Wisconsin. I grew up, and I remember like Dreamcast being like, yeah, I, I, was it a requirement that you had to have broadband for to play Dreamcast online, or could you do dial-up? I, you could do dial-up. I'm pretty sure. <clears throat> yeah, you could, but like, I remember like people going out getting this broadband and the dreamcast like you rich motherfuckers yeah. <laughs> but like <laughs> i remember like people talking about it being really cool but honestly I, I never owned it but fortunately for me i guess it failed once the playstation 2 came out and eventually all of the great games or most of the great games i just say with the exception of like fantasies the original fantasy star online came out for the playstation 2 you know you saw all the 2K sports games hit the PS2. Well, the, just that generation in general, right? They, they hit the PlayStation 2 or the Xbox, right? And you had Crazy Taxi um, and so on and so forth. And, Soul Calibur. That's yep. the first uh, system that Soul Calibur came up from. And I, well, that was the first. No, it wasn't. I liked Street Fighter 2 when I was growing up. But, like, that was, Soul Calibur was awesome. First one. And I loved, I absolutely, like, Crazy Taxi is still great to this day. Like, yeah, it is good. For so sure. it, and obviously the 2K sports games are some of the most lauded sports games in the history of sports video games. And yeah, I, I still am kind of pissed off about the whole EA exclusive deal with the NFL because 2K5, uh, NFL 2K5 was just dope as fuck. Yeah, those um, great, yeah. I hope to God someday they can rectify that shit and bring it back because that game was the the pinnacle of sports games back in its heyday. I I mean, luckily, I mean, I never personally got to experience the Dreamcast firsthand, 
but I got to experience a lot of the quality titles that came from the Dreamcast because yeah. of the Dreamcast failure. Dude, so, one more game, uh, Virtua Tennis. Like, oh, yeah, right? I fucking loved that game on yep. my Dreamcast. That game was the bomb. I know that's a very wank, wank kind of note to end. No, that's not at all, dude. I, I got, I literally went out and I got, I got the, they, they came out. Virtual Tennis continued to exist. I think they went all the way up to five. I got whatever was the, it was probably one of the last ones they made, but it was also compatible with the Connect, the original 360 Connect, so you could play Virtual Tennis with motion controls. So it's super fucking dope because it was just like it was just a little bit more hardcore than was Wii Tennis, which I also loved. I fucking I swear to God, man, I gave myself a tennis elbow because of Wii Tennis because like the main problem. <laughs> the No, seriously, like the main problem with that game is you're swinging your arm constantly with no weight at the end of it. Right. So, yeah, your tendons are exactly. just going fucking crazy. Tennis elbow pretty quick, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, so I, I, not a bad note to end on. Love me some tennis games. A lot of experience with tennis games. I'll take anybody on a Wii Tennis that wants to get their asses beat. <laughs> or if you don't want to get your asses beat and you think you should run some shit on me, I'll beat Sampras your ass, and then we'll see what's up. All right. Now we're going to end on that. <laughs> now we're going to end on that. Oh, sorry, Gabe. Go on, buddy. I just want to let you guys know that we could get a Dreamcast, uh, three more controllers, and Virtual Tennis for about 100 bucks. At GameStop. Seems like a ripoff. Terrible ripoff. GameStop's going out of business. <laughs> GameStop's going out of business. So, you know, maybe if you want to feel terrible, uh, yeah. donate to them. But no, you should really donate to the Australian <laughs> thing that we were talking about earlier. So, <laughs> at any note, thank you so much for tuning in today and listening to the Mostly Normal Gamers podcast, episode number 30. If you enjoy our weekly podcast, which clearly if you're still listening to us at this point, or if you're new, I guess... It would mean a lot if you could give us a rating. Five stars are awesome. Four stars are good. Anything less than four, why don't you find another podcast? Word. <laughs> for, shill, uh, for Shizzle, please um, please listen to us. Subscribe. Smash that like button, all that other good nonsense that people say. We're just trying to have a good time, and hopefully people like our content. If you're not a subscriber yet, Please sign up. We'd love to have you join the Most of Normal Gamers community. And you can follow us on Twitter at MN Gamers Podcast. Gabe, I'm in lieu of the email address. I didn't put it into the uh, the prep doc because I'm a moron. MN Gamers Podcast at gmail.com. That's super cool. different from our Twitter name. Not so it's much. super different. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right. Well, thank you very much for salvaging me there, Gabe. Speaking of where they can find us. Where can they find you, Gabe? You can find me at Gabe Fall pretty much everywhere. Give me an ad. Give me a follow. Give me a whatever happens on your Instagram. money. Yeah, give him your money. All yeah, do that. I got do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll, pu- I'll put it in an envelope and send it to Australia. Listen here, see? Give me that money, see? And our wonderful street pharmacist, John, where can they find you? I am... At Johnny Samsonite on Twitter. And this is Aaron. You can find me at Woods the Mav on the Twitterverse. It's been real. Stay safe out there for the blizzards that's coming up this weekend. And I got a shout out to my Packers. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.
Cheerio. Bye.